0: We continue working our way through the Gospel of St. John. It, too, is printed in your bulletin, should you like to read along. Listen to these words. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Humanity be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that the only Son was given, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. May God speak to us this day through both of these two readings that aren't exactly happy ones, um, but they're in the book, as we say. So we'll see what the Spirit is going to do with us today. So, the year was 1961, the month was August, the town was Campbell, outside of San Jose, and the scene, it was an ordinary kitchen in a typical track home in a nondescript neighborhood, and the event occurred in a small life of a boy named Jeffrey. I was that Jeffrey. While in that kitchen of the ordinary track house on Bent Drive, talking with don my father's closest friend my father had been dead just under three months i recited my first scripture passage that i'd ever learned god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life now i say those words differently today because of inclusive language but that's how i remembered the verse now the event had no worldly impact no surprise But for me, I smiled because I was proud of my accomplishment, and my father's friend wept. He wept in joy and in sadness. He had wished my father could have heard me recite that passage that he had helped coach me to learn. In John 16, we discover, I believe, the essence of the gospel. Out of love, the world received the Son. Out of love, we learned what love is all about. Out of love, we change. It was out of love that God entered the world through the one that we know as Jesus the Christ. This is the truth of the incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us. God loved the world so much that God came in the form of a human being and out of love, God said to us, I am for you. I am for you when you are afraid. I am for you when you don't feel enough. I am for you when you feel inadequate. I am for you regardless of your gender, or your worldly condition, or your race, your sexual orientation, or your ethnicity. I am for you. Because you are mine. Because you are mine. McTilde of Magdeburg, I love that name. 13th century German mystic who was a Beguine who lived along the Rhine said, God said to the soul, I desired you before the world began. I desire you now as you desire me. And where the two desires come together, there, love is perfected. God desires us as we desire God. And where the two desires meet, there is love. And when there is love, there is relationship. John 3.16 is about relationship. God loving the world so much that God entered the world through a life that entered and invites us to enter into relationship. John 3.16 was about my father's friend, crying with a smile because of the relationship Don had with my father who had with me. Through Jesus, God invites us into relationship. Through Jesus, we see that God is not some God out there or up there or somewhere, but the God is here. Here is where we wear this God love, like clothing. When we're in relationship with the Holy, our lives change, but most often not on our terms, but on God's. This was certainly true as we heard in our first reading from the Book of Numbers. You know, as I've reflected on these two texts this week, I believe the canopy under which they reside is freedom. Yes, freedom. We heard the Israelites complaining, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt? Egypt, the place where they were enslaved. Egypt, the place where they were in bondage. Egypt. It was familiar, albeit horrible. It was known. Not so in the desert. They were brought up out of Egypt into the desert, a place that was unfamiliar, a place that was unknown, scary, and afraid. And they began to complain, and yet it was the very place that they had prayed for. The unknown, we know, is where generativity and life occurs. Then in the Gospel, John tells us that once we have allowed ourselves to be imbued with the very love of Christ, we can't go back. We can't go back to complaining or being complicit. We can't go back to the way things were. We can't go back to having hardened hearts, for we've been freed, and once we're free, life changes. Yes, freedom is always a rite of passage. A passage from what was to what is and what can be. A passage from fear to trust, a passage from dis-ease to ease, a passage from death to life. These freedom texts, if you will, speak to how we are with one another. And what I mean by this is how we are in relationship with each other and how we are in relationship with the divine. Now the Israelites were in the wilderness of the desert and they complained. They wanted freedom, they prayed for freedom, they longed for freedom, but the freedom that they got in the desert wasn't the freedom that they had envisioned. Has this ever happened to you? God answers on God's terms, not ours. God longs to be in relationship with us. And what do we do? We complain. The people of Israel, about the desert and the miserable, wretched food. We, about politics, global warming, our leaders, violence in the street, the economy, our neighbor's dog, the clerks at Safeway, you name it. Complaining doesn't help transform or bring about change. Complaining, why have you brought us up out of Egypt, actually puts blinders on how we see the world, how we see ourselves, how we see those people that we say we love, limiting our potential and what's possible. A Stanford study in 2016 found that complaining actually shrinks the hippocampus, that part of the brain which is critical to problem solving. It's also one of the central areas in the brain that Alzheimer's destroys. Complaining releases cortisol, the stress hormone which raises our blood pressure and blood sugar. Frequent complaining can lead to heart disease and diabetes, which is pretty rampant in our society right now. The more immediate effect of complaining, however, is that it erodes, according to Gwendolyn Sedman, associate Associate professor of psychology at Albright College in Reading, PA. It erodes our otherwise healthy relationships. Think about that. Complaining erodes our healthy relationships. It can become contagious. Have you ever been in a room of people, excuse my language, bitching? And the bitching takes on and becomes bigger and bigger. It's demoralizing. It's exhausting. And we all know what it's like to be people or what's it like to be around people to be those people ourselves when we're grumpy. Likewise, the flip side of complaining, appreciating, it too can take on the qualities that are infectious and exhilarating. It sets us free. The choice is ours. God entered human life not to condemn, but to embrace, not to bind, but to release. This is what healthy relationships do. They release us to be our most authentic selves. Naomi Levine, owner of City Epicurean Events in Chicago, used to complain she writes about everything, from business to parenting to cleaning to the weather. Two years ago, her eight-year-old son had a complaint of his own. He desperately wanted his mother to stop her constant venting. She made a conscious choice to do just that. And she said it helped our relationship. I now focus on things that are more cheery and happy and positive without being fake. He said he now sees me as an inspiration, which reinforces my behavioral change and has strengthened our relationship. This is how we change the world, by being an inspiration for one another. Because it's all about relationship. As Tom Glenn wrote in our Lenten devotional, the scripture from John asserts that the compassionate spirit of the Holy One entered the beloved world in Jesus not to condemn, not to complain, but to embrace and to heal. Whining, grumbling, murmuring only serves to fracture an already broken world. And erode relationships that might have heretofore been healthy. To welcome, embrace, and to celebrate conversely brings healing, joy, and freedom. We all know that. When we're around a person that can embrace, celebrate, and release something in us, we become a better person. We become that true, authentic self that we're supposed to be. But when we're around someone who's complaining or grumpy or whining, we too shrink, just like that part of our brain. My friends, each of us, each of us is created in the image of the loving God, imprinted with the very compassion of the Holy One. Because the Spirit of God lives within each of us, we are called to pass from condemnation to love from knocking down to building up, from criticizing to appreciating, we are called to embrace, not reject, to listen, not accuse. So instead of asking, why have you brought us up out of Egypt complaining, whatever Egypt may be for you, what if we prayed, thank you, God, for bringing us up out of Egypt, for here? Here is where our work begins. May it be so. Amen.